What's up, everyone, and welcome back to episode 69 of Down the Line. My name is Kyle Betts. I am joined by Brevin Honda. We're recording this on Friday, October 7th, 2022, right around 9.45 in the morning. Got a lot going down this week, and especially this weekend as well. That includes some wildcard action we're going to get into. We got some college football and some NFL, but um, firstly, Brevin, how was your week and how are you doing? It was good. Uh, I got to see uh, the Padres clinch the wild card on Sunday um, at Petco Park, uh, even though despite they lost, uh, it came out just a little bit short to the White Sox, but see them on Sunday clinch that division, see the champagne party in the clubhouse. Um, good good sights to see. We had a great episode last week, uh, episode number 68. We had our friend um, and... Uh, MMJ out in Iowa, Amber Salas, joined us last week. Kyle, we had a great episode last week. Yeah, that was a really nice episode. Good to catch up with her, and we talked a lot. And I think it's pretty much all the same this week. I mean, it's kind of that time of year where things are ramping up in terms mm-hmm. of the action that's happening. Not only that, but just news in general. And we're going to get into a lot of that. And I think with the NBA on the horizon, I mean, we don't really talk NHL, but that's happening, too. Yep. That's going to get started here shortly as well. I mean, playoff baseball going on. We're in the full swing of NFL and college football. It's pretty much a sports fan's dream, you know, kind of kind of the season. Um, so we're going to get into it uh, starting with the Fast Five, and that being another team who clinched a postseason spot and a wildcard spot, for that matter, and that is the Seattle Mariners clinched a postseason spot in fashion on Friday night. And that was a walk-off home run by catcher Cal Raleigh to give the Mariners a 2-1 victory over the Oakland A's. So the Mariners finally ending their drought. Yeah, this is a kind of a period down-the-line moment for, uh, as you mentioned, Mariners catcher Cal Raleigh. It was a 3-2 count in the bottom of the ninth inning on a Friday night. And and Cal Raleigh took that one pretty much down that right field line off the uh, – off the windows out in right field at T-Mobile Park and just in everyone there, not Safeco Field, at, um, can't remember their new stadium name. Uh, yeah, at T-Mobile Park, just into a frenzy. And it's not just a walk-off home run, but an opportunity to end that 21-year postseason drought um, when the Mariners made the postseason in 2001 with guys like Ken Griffey Jr. and Ichiro Suzuki. Yeah, we're going to get into the Mariners in a little bit. They play in just a couple hours, and we're going to talk about their wild card matchup against the Blue Jays coming up. But our second pointer here on the Fast Five as well is Tua Tagovailoa, who he's been a pretty big topic in the world of sports these past couple weeks, suffered an assumed concussion on, I think it was, well, two Thursdays ago against the Cincinnati Bengals. I mean, he was... I mean, it, it was really scary sight, and that was that was four days after Tagovailoa was visually concussed against Buffalo on September 25th. But he, that was more of the some concussion because he was cleared to return after it was a little back injury. He had to have him on the ground. He was very wobbly when he stood up right after that happened. You know, pretty much fell down right after he did. And this is a really big problem in the NFL. We're going to get into that in a second with our third pointer, but. The unaffiliated, unaffiliated neurotrauma consultant from the NFLPA who performed 
Tua's concussion test following the game against the Bills was fired according to multiple reports. So um, it, it seemed very likely unconfirmed, of course. I think the only confirmed concussion was the one he suffered against the Bengals. But, I, I mean, he suffered two concussions in four days. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, it was pretty kind of eye-opening to see. It's because it's um, a lot of people that go into putting these players in the NFL – and putting them on the football field week in and week out. It's not just the players saying, all right, I'm ready to go. You got your coaches, you got your team doctors, you got, as you saw, we saw the NFLPA doctors as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. Um, and I, I think, you know, when something like that happens, you said it completely right, eye-opening, and it's going to bring a lot more awareness to how we approach this and, there are still some problems, you know, even right after that happened, I think the NFL changed some rules and how they look into concussions. The you know, the following week after, mm-hmm. um, if someone is visually impaired, then they're going to go to extra lengths to ensure that if they are going to return to the game and they're a hundred percent. Um, but it's crazy. And we're going to get into yeah. that in a second, mm-hmm. but our third point here is slew of injuries continuing to hit the NFL. And that is not only just week four. This is also last night, the Thursday night yeah. game, which um, the Broncos suffered a lot, including Garrett Bowles with a broken leg. But we'll get into the week four injuries, and that includes Panthers safety Jeremy Chin with a hamstring, Steelers safety Mika Fitzpatrick with a knee, Eagles corner Darius Slay, he suffered a forearm, um, Broncos running back Javante Williams with a torn ACL and LCL. We saw... Colts running back Jonathan Taylor be inactive last night due to an ankle. And also Broncos outside linebacker Randy Gregory, um, he hurt his knee. His ACL is still intact, but he's out a few weeks. And not only that, but concussions. And that was pretty much the most common injury during week four. And that includes Bills receiver Isaiah McKenzie, Packers safety Adrian Amos, Colts linebacker Shaq Leonard, Raiders linebacker Denzel Perriman, Patriots quarterback Brian Hoyer, Giants quarterback Tyrod Taylor, Giants safety Julian Love, um, Broncos strong safety P.J. Locke, and special teamer Aaron Patrick. So, I mean, <laughs> I kind of got winded saying all those names. Yeah. Together, I mean, it's, it's like it keeps going on and on, and, and, it, and it never ends. And I, I think the craziest part of these concussions and all these injuries was Bucks tight end Cameron Bray. He suffered a concussion, and that was a result of friendly fire. Um, during the Sunday night football game, he was evaluated for concussion, returned to the game, but then he was pulled again during the entirety of the second half. So even though there were some rule changes, it, it still seems like the NFL has a serious problem here, and they still can't really figure it out. Yeah, and there's also players that have it in the concussion protocol for past couple of weeks. And you think about, for example, Raiders wide receiver, Hunter Renfro, he's been out since week two um, with his concussion, and he he started to practice this week. Uh, I think he had his first full practice. He had the red non-contact jersey on yesterday, I think it was, or it might have been Wednesday. And uh, he spoke to the media, and he he understands the importance of of how how the rise of concussions with Tua is, but. To see, uh, you see how much Tua's 
concussion has impacted it across the league from other players. Yeah, no doubt. All right, let's move on here into our fourth point on the Fast Five, and that is on last Sunday in St. Louis. Very emotional day, final home game for not only Albert Pujols, but um, Adam Wainwright and Yadier Rolina, who um, continued their slew of starts together. Obviously, that record with Wainwright pitching and Molina behind the play, and you saw Albert Pujols hit number 702 in terms of his home runs early on in the game, and that's going to be his final Bush Stadium at bat, at least during the regular season. Um, and in the fifth inning, manager Oliver Marmol was making a pitching change for Wainwright, but you saw Pujols and Molina come out at the same time. Um, the whole stadium, you know, rising and cheering them on and saw them all walking to the dugout. And it's just a really special moment for that trio that won a World Series and brought so much joy to the city of St. Louis 16 years ago. And um, that was all the way back in 2006. And it's pretty astounding to see them all back together for one last time. Yeah, this is why our Pujols wanted to come back. And you think about the work that Albert Pujols had to put in, it was, I think ESPN, I think, wrote a story about Albert Pujols saying that he could have retired in June or something like that. And then you see him just going to a home run barrage in the summer, you know, when, when it got, when it got warmer in the summer, so did Albert Pujols. And I think he led the, led all of baseball in home runs, I think with like 16 or something like that. And, you think about, you know, the reward for doing that, not just reaching 700, but to get the fanfare, not just from Cardinals fans, but from everyone across baseball to watch what our pools has been able to do over the last couple of months. It's been something that it's been something that a lot of people aren't going to forget, um, especially within the next six years. Yeah, that, that's for sure. So seeing those guys together has obviously been such a pleasure, and hopefully we get a few more moments in the postseason mm-hmm. at least with those guys. All right, our fifth pointer in continuing how bad all the teams I support are is <laughs> Manchester United. Um, they met with Manchester City. They met at the Etihad Stadium in the bi-seasonal Manchester Derby on Sunday, but not really much of a contest, and City ended up beating United 6-3, so not your average score for a soccer game. Uh, more like a baseball score. That's what happened. <laughs> yeah, and Patrick's are coming from, I mean, he's the best player in the world right now, Erling Holland, and Phil Foden got a hat trick of his own as well. And definitely an interesting situation because you don't see Cristiano Ronaldo play. I mean, he hasn't been in the best form as of late, but Man, to not even get any pitch time and, and just seeing his reactions on the bench, that, that was pretty tough. And rumors began spring right after that that they're going to try and sell him to a different team, to a different club after the World Cup ends in December. And, yeah, it's it, it seemed like they were kind of figuring some stuff out, but then you lose to City 6-3, and, I mean, you see – one top player in the world in Erling Holland have success, and then another in Cristiano Ronaldo um, just not even play, and you see his decline, I, I think, right now as 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 a soccer fan. 
Yeah, it was surprisingly to see, you know, we think about how how much of an impact Cristiano Ronaldo has been, especially when we just got done talking about Albert Rujols and Yadier Molina and Adam Wainwright. You think about how much of an impact Cristiano Ronaldo has been to the sport. Obviously, we've seen him move around a few teams over the last few years. You know, we've seen him with, was it Juventus as well? And then we see him now with Man U. And um, I guess time's... Uh, is taking in uh, with uh, United, I guess. Yeah, so we'll see where he ends up. I know mm-hmm. that we're going to be talking about that soon. We're going to be talking about World Cup and next month. Yeah, it's likely going to be his and Messi's final World Cup. I know mm-hmm. Messi already said it'll be his last one. So same for CR7. And yeah, it's definitely interesting because they've been compared over the course of their careers, and now. Mm-hmm. It's it's messy playing in yeah. the Champions League, mm-hmm. scoring goals uh, yesterday mm-hmm. and um, or two days ago, and Cristiano Ronaldo not not playing in the Champions League because he, he's with United. So it's definitely interesting. But um, that is the Fast Five, and there's a lot more news to get into, and that's going to be in Major League Baseball as well. Um, let's go back and talk some Albert Pujols. We mentioned that he hit number 703 or 702 at home next day or yeah, next, next day he hit 703 and that's when he surpassed Babe Ruth for second most home runs uh, batted in all time with this 2,215 only trailing Hank Aaron's 2,297. So um, a lot of RBIs for Albert Pujols throughout his career Um, entering the postseason. Albert has 2,218 RBIs. So he got a couple more throughout the week, and um, it, it's pretty astounding to see him break records like he has in recent weeks and um, second most RBIs of all time. Only tra- trailing Hank Aaron to this point is definitely special. It is, and you think about, you know, it's not just Albert Pujols, the the home run person, but it's also Albert Pujols, the hitter, and how he's able to drive in runs. Obviously, he's in a prime spot right in the heart of that lineup. But, you know, he's been doing this for his entire career over 20, 21 years. And you see the success that it's leading to even, you know, close to the age of 40. And to see him be able to, you know, pass, you know, Alex Rodriguez for 696 home runs. To see him now pass Babe Ruth for second most RBIs. He's only trailing Babe Ruth with, just needs a lot more home runs to pass Babe Ruth in that category. It tells you the type of generational talent um, Albert Pujols has been to this game. Yeah, so Pujols breaking 700, breaking this record, and you got to wonder him being back in the postseason where, I mean, he was never really in that spot when he was on the Angels, but last season, obviously, he went to Dodgers and now the Cardinals again. It's going to be interesting to see what they're able to put together. And that all starts today. We're going to get into that in a second, but a lot more coming, or at least to be expected from Albert Pujols as well. And going off that sort of category of milestones, you saw Yankees designated hitter Aaron Judge. He hit his 62nd home run of the season on Tuesday. He broke the AL record, he broke the Yankees record. Um, we, we weren't really sure if he was going to do it because there was 
you know, kind of a gap between 61 and 62, but he ended up doing it, and uh, it obviously got a lot of attention. Yeah, he did that in Texas, and there's been a lot of a lot of nice moments uh, since the since the new ballpark in Texas is open. Now, including Aaron Judge's 62nd home run, you think about Joe Musgrove's no hitter. Um, you think about the 2020 World Series taking place in Arlington as well at Globe Life Field, um, and now he gets the Aaron Judge at number 62, and it's been. Um, I think it's been more, I think, a relief for Aaron Judge because of how much he, he's getting asked, are you going to hit 62 today? You know, and whether it's from fans, whether it's from media, I want to be there when you hit uh, number 62. And, uh, you know, you just see the type of, for him to be able to hit 62 home runs in a season, obviously it's, I think it's the most sense his now teammates, Danton hit 59, I think it was, in 2017. Mm-hmm. To see him be able to hit 62, it just tells you how good of a season he had. And uh, obviously, we had that discussion a couple weeks ago about who gets the MVP between Aaron Judge and Shohei Otani. And to be quite honest, Kyle, I wouldn't be surprised if they both get the MVP. Man, I, I'll tell you what, I, I've always leaned on the side of Judge this mm-hmm. season. And I don't, I don't know. And that, that's just my complete unbiased standpoint on this. But now the last month and a half of the season, you see Shohei do what he did on the mound. And it's just like, I can't even pick anymore. You know, it's, it's astounding. And yeah, you're absolutely right about judge. It's, it's great to see him break that record. He's not going to win the triple crown, but man, it's definitely a sensational, performance just throughout the season and Yankee fans are definitely lucky to have this guy for their playoff run that's for sure mm-hmm. yeah I think there's only been one time where there's been co-MVPs really yeah so it'd be interesting to see um if that uh adds to that list I think it was no maybe not yeah it was 1979 when Willie Stargell and Keith Hernandez both okay, received yeah. MVP honors in the National League. Wow. So we could definitely see that here mm-hmm. again. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me. There's a lot of people that are going to be voting, and you see John Heyman kind of express who he's going to vote for yep. and you know, guys who have already made up their minds. But, man, if I have a vote, I don't know what I'm going to do. So Yeah, uh-huh. That'll definitely be an interesting storyline to follow. But uh, let's switch gears here as well and get into the Kansas City Royals. So a team with, I guess, limited success compared to the Yankees. Yeah. And <laughs> that's pretty safe to say. Um, they ended up firing Mike Matheny after going 65 and 97. And, of course, they still have a – young core of players mm-hmm. that are going to continue to develop and Salvi Perez and, you know, they, they still have talent on that roster, but just another disappointing year for the Royals. Yeah. It's just another year for that young Royals team to continue to mature and leading the way is Bobby Wood Jr. had over 30 stolen bases. I think he came like the fifth rookie or something like that to have 20, 20 homers or 20 doubles along with 
30 stolen bases. So that tells you a lot about the growth of where this Royals team wants to get to um, in the next few years. And um, it'll take a different different head person leading the way in Kansas City. Most definitely. All right, let's get into the playoff bracket, um, starting with the National League here. And that is the number one seed, the Los Angeles Dodgers, best record um, coming out of the National League and all of baseball as well. Uh, they are going to have a wild card by along with the number two seed, Atlanta Braves. They won 101 games. So um, they are not playing this weekend, but the wild card teams that are playing, all those are going to, all those games are going to be aired on ESPN and uh, at a higher teeth stadium. And uh, this is going to be a lot of fun. And it's starting in the National League with the number three seed, St. Louis Cardinals. Again, we just talked about them. They had a 93-win season. They're going to face the number six seed, Philadelphia Phillies. 87 wins from the Phillies. Game one is today, and that is starting in about an hour from now, actually. And so um, that's going to be on ABC. I'll definitely be tuning in for that. It's Jose Quintana, Angels legend, against Zach Wheeler. Um, so that's definitely going to be a nice matchup to follow. And then game two is going to be tomorrow at 5.37 p.m. on ESPN2. Um, Aaron Nola is going to take the hill against Miles Mikolas. And then if necessary, game three would be Sunday at 5.30 on ESPN2. And this is going to be a really good series. Uh, I, I think these teams are both pretty evenly matched up. I thought it was pretty interesting that they're throwing out Quintana in game one, but I mean, you go ahead and you trade for a guy of his caliber and he's going to make an appearance. Yeah. I think it shows you just the depth of that pitching rotation. You could easily went with a guy like Jordan Montgomery. You could have went with uh, Adam Wainwright, you know, but it tells you the depth that the Cardinals have within the rotation. Uh, And then for them to go up against at home to go up against Zach Wheeler. Yeah, I think what's so interesting about the postseason is the approach that managers take yep. and having these guys start designated games and then also the lineups, you know, playing matchups. And, and that's why it's so important for teams to have depth and, you know, just be prepared for any sort of situation. And um, this is definitely going to be a series to follow because I think we're going to see a lot of that with, Guys coming in and out of the lineup, you know, mm-hmm. pinch hitting that sixth, seventh, eighth inning and, and beyond. So it, it's going to be a lot of fun. That'll be a great series. And um, another NL wildcard series to follow is the New York Mets. They're the four seed, 101 wins, facing the number five seed, San Diego Padres, 89 wins on their end um, during the regular season. So this is going to be a really fun matchup. I know you're looking forward to this one. Game one is today at 5 o'clock on ESPN. It's going to be Max Scherzer against Hugh Darvish. Game two tomorrow is going to be at 4.37 p.m. on ESPN. Um, pitcher to be announced from the Mets side. They're going to end up facing Blake Snell. And then, if necessary, we're going to have game three Sunday, October 9th. And that's going to be at 4.37 p.m. on ESPN as well. So um, this is going to be... One that's unpredictable, to be honest with you. I, I think that this has the potential to be the best series out of all of them. Yeah, I think so. And I think, too, you see a lot of 
with it being the New York Mets and being from the Big Apple, I think there's a lot of people that are discounting the Padres. And I think, you know, mm-hmm. you just see, oh, the Mets will win this game in two games because they'll throw Scherzer and they'll throw DeGrom. Well, you see, Jacob DeGrom's not throwing game one because of a blister issue. So it'd be interesting, it'd be interesting to see, depending on how tonight goes, if, if Jacob DeGrom does pitch game two if the Padres win game one. And that'd be interesting to see. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of people that have uh, outed the Padres. Um, obviously, we saw the MLB pitcher rankings or ranking the pitching staffs, and the Padres were ranked number 12 out of all 12 playoff teams, which seems kind of odd knowing that you yeah. Darvish was just named pitcher of the month for the month of September. Um Blake Snell's been pitching really well. Um, you know, and this pitching staff has helped this Padres team get to the postseason. Um, and I think that's just adding mute, more fuel to this Padres team going into Queens. The, so that, and yeah, it'll just be interesting of a series, uh, knowing that this Padres team is the quote unquote underdog. Um, against uh going up against the city in the Bay Apple. Yeah, no doubt about that. I think that's very well said, Revan, and it all starts tonight, like you mentioned. Mm-hmm. And this, I think this matchup is gonna be absolutely elite. I don't know how many runs are gonna be scored in this game. I don't know the over under total, but the the under's looking pretty good right now with these two yeah. two guys mm-hmm. going at it. So it's gonna be a great one. All right, let's talk some AL uh Playoff bracket. Number one seed Houston Astros have 106 wins. They end up with the best record in the American League. Um, the Yankees join them as the two seed with 99 wins, as the only two teams to receive wildcard buys out of the American League. So this is going to be a lot of fun with these teams facing each other out of the American League in these wildcard series. And all wildcard, all wildcard games from the American League are also going to be on ESPN networks and also at a higher seed stadium. So this is going on right now, actually. Game one of the series between the number three seed Cleveland Guardians against the number six seed Tampa Bay Rays started at nine o'clock this morning. Shane McClanahan against Shane Bieber. Um, a lot of fun between these two teams because um, it does seem pretty evenly matched. I don't, I don't know who is going to end up winning these series. The Guardians are kind of a lineup that they don't really strike out that often. Yeah. Um, so that, that's, that's a problem for Shane McClanahan, but you know, on the other hand, there's, there's, there's Shane Beaver. Uh, and, but you never know what that raise line is going to do, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's going to be a lot of fun to follow right now. They are in the top of the fifth. Uh, Beaver is pitching to Christian Benacourt, three and two count with two outs and a guy in first. So it looks like Shane Beaver, could get out of this if he walks them. Might get a little interesting, but it's all level right now. Zero zero, top five. Um, if anything changes throughout our recording of this episode, we'll definitely let you know. But uh, right now, it's pretty much all things level, and it's a really good pitching duel. Yeah, that first hit that that, that hit that you mentioned um, for the Rays that was Harold Ramirez. That was Shane Bieber's first hit of the afternoon. So. Good pitching performances on both sides. Christian Bethcourt just struck out to end the top of the fifth inning, so we remain scoreless. 
in Cleveland halfway through that game. Um, still 0-0 entered the bottom of the fifth inning. Yeah, game two of that series will be tomorrow at 9.07 a.m. as well on ESPN2. Tyler Glasnow will take the hill for the Rays against a pitcher to be announced for the Guardians. And then, if necessary, we're going to have game three Sunday, October 9th at 1.07 p.m. on ESPN. So this is going to be another solid series should it play out all three games and the other wild card series out of the AL is the number four seed the Toronto Blue Jays they ended up with a 92 win season they're going to play the number five seed Seattle Mariners who won 90 games for the first time and I don't know how many years but they were <laughs> able to break 90 uh, and, and this will be a really fun matchup I think and especially, you know, when you consider the pitching side of things, especially this game one that's going to happen in just a couple hours from now. Game one is going to happen at 1.07 p.m. today on ESPN. It's going to be Alec Manoa against Luis Castillo. So you see the Mariners elect to throw Robbie Ray on the hill for game two. Pitcher to be announced for the Blue Jay side on game two, but Luis Castillo has game one for the Mariners and Robbie Ray is game two. And then if necessary, game three is going to be Sunday at 11.07 a.m. Yeah, all these times that we listed are Pacific time, so West Coast time, so plan accordingly. And when you think about this Blue Jays marriages matchup, I think you kind of mentioned the word describe. It's going to be really fun. Um, you got this, you know, these, there's not necessarily like veteran teams, you know, these teams, you know, they knew how to draft, they knew how to get younger players. We see, um, you know, you mentioned Luis Castillo. We saw him, you know, be one of those players moved at the trade deadline. Um, you know, we think about players like Vlad Guerrero Jr. We think about Bo Bichette. Uh-huh. Just how much young and up and stars are on that Mar- on that Blue Jays team. And think about the Mariners. You think about uh, Julio Rodriguez. You think about Ty France, Mitch Haniger. Um, mm. And just how, how well built uh, these two teams are. Um, in this series. I agree. I think between this series and the Mets and Padres, those two are going to be my favorite. I don't know which one is going to end up being my personal favorite, but I think these two series have the most potential to go three games. Mm -hmm. And I think it could get absolutely wild because we are in October at the end of the day and these these teams are also evenly matched. So, I mean, it's, it's going to be a lot of fun to watch and we're expecting a lot of good series between these teams and it's going to be a lot of fun to see what goes down. Um, especially from the Padres. I, I think they're a team with high expectations. We've seen them kind of perform below that in recent years, but let's get into talking to some Padres, Brevin. Mm-hmm. It's been a long road getting here. There's been a lot of moves made and there, there, there's been some ups and downs, but they, they finally made it. Now, with that being said, they still got to play the New York Mets, who won mm-hmm. 101. Yeah. So what would you say are kind of the expectations for the Padres as we are now in October? I think it's just to go out and play the baseball that that you know how to play Padre baseball on all year, you know. You know, obviously Manny's going to be leading that offense, but, you know, you're hoping other guys step up in addition to Manny Machado, whether it's, the pieces that you got at the deadline, whether it's Josh Bell, whether it's Juan Soto, Brandon Drury, you know, or if it's 
other guys in your lineup like Jerickson Profar and Hassan Kim and uh, Trent Grisham. You know, it's uh, I think if that, that offense can get hot, you know, for for this postseason, the Padres are going to be a tough out um, th- during the entire playoffs. What, what do you think is the key for the Padres here? Because Again, like I mentioned, the pitching staffs are, are fantastic. Yep. The lineups mm-hmm. are pretty evenly developed. What What would you say is most important in order to be successful? I mean, obviously both, but what would you say takes precedent here? I think if there's one player. I think it's Juan Soto. Um, you know, this is the this this is the reason why you got Juan Soto at the trade deadline. You know, it's for him to be able to be that player of why, why AJ Preller wanted to get him at the deadline. It's for moments like these um, in October when these games mean something. No doubt about that. Now that the regular season is over as well, there are still a lot of moments that you can hopefully look forward to, Brevin and all Padres mm-hmm. fans as well. But um what we did this week is kind of compile our top five moments of the regular season from the Padres and the Angels. And obviously we're going to get into Angels right after this, but um, Revin, what would you say your list of top five moments of the 2022 regular season would be um, considering everything that went down? Yeah, there were so many different things to chase from, and there were so many things that I even left off just because of those are that many great moments. Um, it's, you're going to see on the list it's more offense based compared to pitching. I think just because of the importance that the offense has become. But um, I'm going to start this from number five and work my way to number one. But number five, I'm going to put all, it's a combination of all five of Jorge Alfaro's walk off wins this year. He had that walk off there and Homer on Mother's Day. He had a couple of walk off hits against the Diamondbacks and. Um, he had that one where the Padres were down five nothing um, a month ago today, and just to, to see Alfaro get that hit, and uh, you know, it's just a great time to see, um, you know, just guys come up clutch, and to see Jorge Alfaro do that uh, a franchise record five times this year tells you a lot about how much Jorge Alfaro is ready in that moment. Yeah, that was. I, I think that's my top moment for mm-hmm. sure. I, I love Jorge Alfaro. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. All right. Number four is probably one that you wouldn't expect just because of the time of when it happened, but we're going to go back to the month of June, early June, and the Padres were on the road in Milwaukee and the Padres, they a few weeks earlier took one out of three from the Brewers and they had argued lost the first game of a four-game series. So that means the Padres were one in three uh, against the Brewers up until that point. And then the Padres come back and they take the next three games, say three out of four. Not only that, they take the season series from the Brewers. And in that final game of that series, Jake Cronenworth hit a three-run homer in the top of the 10th inning to give the give the Padres a, a victory in that game. Mentioned the season series. I think the final score was six to four. And uh, you know, that's just we don't think about we we say how much every single game counts, and we kind of lose track of that in a long season when you play 162 games. But 
That yeah. was the epitome of that and how every game counts because at that time the Brewers were in first place to the National League Central and and at that point we didn't expect the Brewers to be competing in the wild card with the Padres, but you saw now as we got into September, as we got into late September, how important um it was to get those wins against the Brewers. And so that's why number four comes with the Padres taking three out of four in Milwaukee in June. All right. Number three, we go all the way back to April 14th. It was mm-hmm. the Padres' home opener taking on the reigning World Series champs, the Atlanta Braves. And it's probably a night that you'd want to have on on the Padres' home opener. You know, you want your pitching to do well. You want your offense to come alive. And both of those things happened. Joe Musgrove went yeah. six and two-thirds. Then Padres rookie C.J. Abrams hit his first career home run. And Manny Machado went five for six with a homer and a stolen base. And that 12-1 victory, it's just what you want to get started on the right foot at home. All right. Number two on this list mm-hmm. comes in a few months later in August. We go to August 9th. We, we talk about the season that Manny Machado's had. And I think one of his highlights offensively, obviously he he hit 32 home runs, had over 100 RBIs, but I think none was better than his walk-off through run homer to beat the Giants on August 9th. You know, we think about big-time players stepping up in big-time moments. That was one right there. And for Manny to get that win against the Giants, you know, for an offense that was – up and down to see Manny Machado get that win against uh, Giants reliever Tyler Rogers, the brother of former Padre Taylor Rogers. Um, it just tells you, you know, Manny Machado wants to be in that moment, um, right. especially in a time where uh, their acquired players at the trade deadline are still adjusting to being in Padre uniforms. And that, Leads me to number one. And speaking of those acquired players at the deadline, that is number one. We think about the blockbuster deals to get Josh Bell and Juan Soto, as well as Josh Hader on top of getting Brandon Jury. Uh, it just felt like, you know, this Padres team was going to get through the finish line, obviously with uh, having an experienced manager in Bob Melvin. But we think about Josh Bell, think about Juan Soto, Josh Hader, all three – I'm pretty sure all three of them had press conferences, but the one that did not have the press conference was the one that made the first spark among those four players, and that was Brady Jury. First at-bat that he had in a Padre uniform comes with the bases loaded and brought back another instance of Grand Slam's Grand Slam Diego, and to see, to see Brady Jury hit that tells you that, you know, Anyone on this team can give you that home run, can give you that big hit. And so we mm-hmm. saw all season long, uh, you know, whether it was Jose Azokar giving us a walk-off base hit, whether it was Jake Cronenworth, Hassan Kim giving us a big hit, you know, on top of Manny and Jorge Alfaro, you know, it just showed you that anyone can step up at any given time. And, you know, when we saw yeah. Jerry hit that grand slam, it just that was that was pretty much described that whole that described that that whole sequence. Yeah, pretty much was the precursor to 
the hope that you guys would have making this postseason run and ending up in this position. So there's definitely high expectations for this team, but I think everything that's led up to this point, you pretty much encapsulated. So I absolutely agree with all those things and a lot of good moments, and hopefully we'll get a few more from the Padres as well. Yep, Padres are hoping for, let's see, Wild Card Division Series, LCS World Series, four more yeah. champagne showers as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, all right, let's go ahead and talk about the Angels. They finished the opposite record of the Padres, 73 and 89. However, we did get some bright news out of the Angels. Pitcher and designated hitter Shohei Otani, who we mentioned earlier, in our episode, he signed a one-year, $30 million contract with the team to avoid arbitration. It's the largest salary ever for an arbitration-eligible player. He was expected to receive just $5.5 million in the final year of that two-year, $8.5 million deal last season. Yeah, very much deserved for a guy, as we mentioned, is going to compete for that MVP honor and it pretty much all came together last Thursday and he had a no hit bid against the Oakland A's in the top of the eighth of two outs. Um, that's pretty much when it all ended, but uh, it, it was an outstanding performance. He retired 23 in a row after walking Tony Kemp in the first inning. And, Laid off the game. <laughs> yeah. And, and you see him pretty much have a similar outing Wednesday. Um, he was no hit. He was, he had, he didn't give up a hit through four innings, I believe. He only went five innings, to my understanding, but, I mean, even then, it was just another day that Shohei Otani's going out there and putting on a show, as he always does. And, yeah, I, I think him signing this $30 million deal is very much deserved, and the Angels are going to do anything they can to try and keep him past this next season as well. So um, I, I think it all starts with getting some more depth on – on both ends, the bullpen, the lineup, you know, it's going to take a lot to build this team. And there's a lot of uncertainty that we're going to get into as well, but um, it's definitely good to see him sign that deal. Another factor I, I think that's important for this team is Anthony Rendon, just seeing him out on the field. Um, <laughs> he returned the Angels lineup on Monday. So he played the two of the last three games of the season for the Angels. So definitely good to see him return in the middle of the team's seven-game win streak. But, yeah, it, it's definitely going to be interesting to see what he's able to do in the future if he's able to stay healthy because that contract is massive as well. And you see a lot of value coming out of Otani's. Man, I don't know if we're going to see the same out of Rendon, and I, I think it really all starts next season. So um, good to see him out there, but hopefully they're able to get some production from him in the future as well. I think another big factor that you saw – uh, through the past week was Mike Trout. He was able to get 40 home runs. I think it's his third time ever doing that. He reached it in the final game of the season. I believe he only played 119 games this year. So who knows if he plays a few more games, what that number is. But, man, it, it's great to see him come out and just, you know, do what he's always done. 490-foot home run to dead center. I mean, it's crazy to see his progression throughout the season because obviously he was suffering a back injury. No one knew if it was actually career threatening and man, I'll tell you what, it doesn't really seem like it. He, he's, he's been going crazy as of late and just glad to see him get number 40. I, I think 39 is kind of that awkward number where you're like, yeah, he had a great season, but 
I don't know. It, it's it feels good. it feels good to see him get forty. I think he's the, very deserving. Of it. Yeah, those hard numbers are stand out a little more than seeing a nine at the end of that number. Yeah, yeah, they they really do. It, it's the little things uh, mm-hmm. for statistics and baseball. Yeah. Uh huh. Um, and, and I think another big piece of news that happened this week was the Angels deciding to bring back Phil Nevin. The interim tag was removed from his position as manager, and he will be the full-time manager next season, at least for next season. Um, this move makes a lot of sense, considering there is going to be a change in ownership, and they don't know what's going to happen, how long that process is going to take. So at least they will have some stability in who's running the team. Um, we saw General Manager Perry Manazian talk about it a little bit yesterday as well. So good to see him talk to the media about some things. And this is just the start of a long off season for this Halos team that has a lot of growth and a lot of improvement to do. And Phil Nevin is going to be at the helm of it. And so I think the decision-making is going to have to be more important now than it's been the past nine seasons in which they missed the postseason. So, yeah, it's really, it's, it's really important and it's imperative for this team to address their needs. And that's, Again, going to be, you know, the lineup depth as well as bullpen depth. I think that's really all it comes down to. Mm-hmm. All right. Now Kyle's going to get into his top five moments of the 2022 season. A lot to get into. You think about a 14-game winning streak at one point, no hitter. Uh, just to tease some of that, Kyle, I'll let you take it away with your top five moments of the 2022 Angels season. Yeah, I'm going to try and run through this as quickly as I can. Um I'm going to start with an honorable mention. This is a game that I went to. I think it's I think it's the last game I went to this season. I think <laughs> I only went to a couple, but, yeah, it just goes to show, not only was I in Arizona for most of this time, but it just goes to show how this team was on the incline and the decline, and there was more of a decline than anything. But honorable mention I'm going to talk about here is the Angels win against the Washington Nationals. That's, that happened on Mother's Day, which is May 8th. Batani hit a two-RBI double that's high the game at 4-4 four to four in the ninth inning. Anthony Rendon walked off with a base knock. And at that moment, it seemed like everything was great in life. And it seemed like there was a lot of potential for this team to make the postseason or even further. And it just all came crashing down. And the Angels, weren't they in first place or they were hovering around first place at the time too? Yeah, yeah at that time they were right around first place, if not in first yeah. Um, competing with the Houston Astros. So um, we're going to get into why they kind of lost that in a second. But, yeah, it, it, it's crazy to go to show that that was really an emotional high, I would say, for, for this team at that point of the year. But um, number five on this list for me um, in the top five moments of the season is seeing the potential and the growth of the Angels trio of lefty starters, that being Patrick Sandoval, Jose Suarez, and Reed Detmers. And all these guys are very young, and there's a lot of potential there. I, I think they all put together outstanding seasons, and they're going to get even better, and next season we're going to see that. But it's really disappointing when you see a lot of these guys' win totals not be as high as they should be because of the inability to hit the baseball in that lineup. So that's really what it comes down to for me. I'm not going to go over their stats. If you're interested, you can look them up yourselves because there's, there's a lot to go over there. But I, I think just the potential of this trio of lefties is really important for this franchise to continue to build off. 
Number four, I would say Jared Walsh. And that is uh, that was his performance on June 11th against the New York Mets. Hit for the cycle in that game. And obviously he was not playing up to the all-star caliber that we saw last season. But it was great to see him do that. No doubt about it. Number three, and I think this is probably the most important of this list in terms of what happened, is the front office decisions. Joe Madden fired amidst the 14-game losing streak. I think he was fired when they lost 10 or 11 in a row. Um, Phil Nevin, the way he stepped in as interim manager, it wasn't necessarily great, but you see guys like Mike Trout come out and say, I love playing for Phil Nevin. You know, he's a great uh, leader to have around. Um, the Angels began the season 27 and 17. They ended up finishing 12 and 36 before the All-Star break. So, like you said, Brevin, they were atop the ALS for a little while, but it really all came crashing down so quickly. The 14-game losing streak being a part of that. Joe Madden fired. Phil Nevin promoted from third base coach. And then I would also say the most important front office decision that happened was Artie Moreno announcing to sell the team. And there's a lot of uncertainty there and how long it's going to take and who are the potential suitors to buy the Angels. But it's a the right direction for this organization, no doubt about it. Are you going to be one of those suitors? Man, if I had money, I, I would. <laughs> I, mean, I, would I mean, I would change, try and change the whole culture. No doubt about it. Yeah, it's, I, I don't know what's going to happen. We saw the the Waltons. Um, by the Broncos for that record, $4 billion, most for any North American sports team. So I don't know if we're going to see similar numbers with the Angels, but, yeah, it's it'll be interesting to see what happens there for sure. Hmm. Number two on this list is Otani, of course, because why would it not be? His eight RBI game on June 21st, followed by his 13 strikeout performance the next day, both against the Kansas City Royals. And I think – if people are confused about this MVP race and, you know, looking at certain performances, just go back and look at that series, yep. man. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, those are ridiculous numbers, and I don't know if we're ever going to see it again. Um, but Shoei Otani is the heart and soul of this team, as is Mike Trout, of course, but that it, it's beyond life seeing stats like that. And I would say the number one moment is Reed Detmer's no-hitter. Um, that was on May 10th against the Tampa Bay Rays. A great moment for the young lefty. I mean, just very well deserved. You never, you know, when you, when you think about pitchers on the staff, you, you wouldn't really imagine Reed Detmer's getting a no hitter, especially so early on in his career, but he was able to do it. And it was a great game, not only because of that, but another standout moment from that game, Anthony Rendon's lefty home run. That just, I felt, gave the team and gave, Angels fans, such a spark in terms of what could have been for that season. So overall disappointing, no doubt about it. But um, those are my top five moments, both good and bad, that I think pretty much reflect what happened this year. Currently uh, currently got that Guardians-Rays game. We got some scoring now. Uh, the Cleveland Guardians lead the Rays 2-1 to one in the bottom of the sixth. Um, in the, I think it was the top of the sixth inning, Jose Siri yeah. homered to right center field. And then uh, after a race challenge, 
Jose Ramirez <laughs> homered on a fly ball at the center field. I guess the Rays wanted to make sure Jose Ramirez hits all four bases, but the big bats coming alive, especially for Cleveland Guardians, uh, Jose Ramirez. Yeah. <laughs> I saw I saw Ray's challenge touching a base, and that that's hilarious. I mean, you can never be so right. So um, interesting that they would use their challenge on that, but. Yeah, I get to see some scoring in this game. And two, really with that, the Rays lost their challenge as a result of that. So yeah. So we're gonna we're gonna keep reacting to this game. As yes. Uh huh. All right. We're gonna take a quick break. When we come back, we're gonna talk some football. We're gonna get to some NFL. Another week in London, as well as we're gonna recap last night's great. Thursday night football game between the Denver Broncos and the Indianapolis Colts as well as get into some fantasy football when we come back here on Down the Line. Welcome back to Down the Line. I'm Brevin Hunter alongside Kyle Betts. It's episode number 69 here on Friday, October 7th. Continuing here just about, just a little after 10.30 here on the West Coast. we talking some baseball, giving you updates currently of the Rays and Guardians Game 1 of the American League Wild Card Series between those two teams out at Progressive Field. We're now going to talk some NBA. We're going to get into some M- NFL as well, talk some fantasy, and get into some trivia in a little bit. But let's start off talking some NBA. And and the Suns lost to an Australian NBA Australian team, lost to the Adelaide 36ers, 134-124 in Phoenix. Yeah, the Suns starters played 23 minutes each in this game, and 36ers player Craig Randall the second. I don't know if he's going to end up, you know, talking with NBA teams as a result of this, but he dropped 35 points. He had nine threes. Also yesterday, the OKC Thunder beat them by 30, but he still dropped 27. So he seems to be a pretty good scorer. But, um, yeah, this is definitely interesting. I don't know if this means much since it's a preseason game, but even then – Considering that, I mean, it's still pretty crazy to see the Suns bench, you know, despite the Suns starters playing 23 minutes each. It's still crazy to see this Suns bench really not keep up with this 36ers team. I don't really know what happened in the game. Obviously, I didn't care enough to watch it because it's preseason. But, yeah, this is definitely interesting. I don't know if it's anything of concern for them, but, yeah, it's – Definitely an eye-opener. There's no doubt about that, especially when this Suns team hasn't really changed. They didn't really do anything to the roster that's that's significant besides bringing back DeAndre Ayton. I mean, not really any key additions that would bolster this roster, to be honest with you. So, I don't know. It's 
it's definitely an eye-opener, like I said. And, yeah, we're going to see how the Suns do this season. I don't know if their expectations are as high as they have been in recent – or at least last mm-hmm. year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you think about Monty Williams, and I think he's got mixed reactions from this game. He likes the 124 points, but then you think about giving up 134 points, you know, and uh, just – I guess that means practice is going to be a lot tougher uh, mm. as they continue to ramp up. We're still a couple of weeks away from uh, the start of the NBA regular season. All right. We're going to move on now. We're going to go from the Western Conference to the Eastern Conference. The Miami Heat uh, and Tyler Hero agreed to a four-year, $130 million contract extension uh, over the weekend. Yeah, this, this is a big deal um, for the Heat, bringing their sixth man of the year back. And you see the Heat going to extra measures to kind of keep their guy around that really broke out during the 2020 season, especially in the bubble last season, averaging 20.7 points a game, five rebounds a game, and four assists per game. Um, and they're pretty similar to the – Suns and that they didn't really do anything to really change their roster. Um, but I, I think we definitely want to see a lot more from Victor Oladipo to see how he performs with that team as well, where you saw Caleb Martin get a lot better as well. And I think that starting lineup is solid. So, yeah, this is this is a pretty important guy to have around as sixth man of the year. I think the year before we saw Jordan Clarkson, and he's still in the Utah Jazz right now who um, – I don't know. That's a six man who could definitely be in a better situation like Tyron Tyler Hero. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. Other news we're going to get to. We're going to come back to out west. News uh, surface that Draymond Green and Jordan Poole had a scuffle, including Draymond Green landing a punch. Um, luckily, this is preseason and not game 80 of the regular season. Yeah, that's for sure. The video dropped this morning. It's circus from TMZ, of course, and it was a video of practice where Draymond was in the corner and Poole was off to the side on the baseline, and you couldn't really tell if there was, you know, talk going on between the two of them, but yeah, it was interesting because Draymond just kind of went up to him, chest-to-chest interaction. They were clearly talking to each other then. Poole pushed him, wanted him to get away, and then Draymond ultimately landed a right hook on Jordan Poole, and he went down, and it seemed like a pretty pretty gnarly punch. So, yeah, it, it seems like there has never been a good relationship between those two in the past. The relationship seems pretty disgruntled, but, yeah, they definitely got to figure that out with the season starting, I think, in about 10 days from now. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I don't know if it's Poole – hoping to, I mean, because of, you know, the talks of a contract extension and all that, I don't know if it's, you know, his disposition being a part of that. We all know how Draymond acts, though. So um, this is this is a little surprising to see him go after a teammate like that. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, not a, it's not a good sign if you're a Warriors fan. So hopefully, if you're a Warriors fan, so hopefully they figure it out. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. you hate to see that, even if it's the preseason, too. Yeah. All right, we're going to move on to the NFL. Last night we had a great, probably one of the best Thursday night football games in the history of Thursday night football between the Denver Broncos and the Indianapolis Colts. Yeah. Wait, what was that? They didn't score a touchdown 
Yeah, it was so bad it was good. And um, I, I don't know. It's as, as a Broncos fan, as a person who has watched this team for so many years, there there is no loss to compare this to other than 2012 playoffs when the Ravens came into Denver and they were pretty handily winning the game. But then with, what, 30 seconds left, Jacoby Jones uh, goes over the top. Joe Flacco throws a deep ball to beat Raheem Moore. And the Ravens upset the Broncos, who were clear Super Bowl favorites that year. This loss kind of feels like that, not in terms of, obviously, the gravity of the situation, but I would say more so just the expectation of this team and everything that's got into this off season and the preparation that they've done. It just, this is a loss that just completely kills everything. Mm-hmm. The Indianapolis Colts, they become the AFC West killer. They beat the Chiefs a couple of weeks ago as well. And now they turn their, now they turn their attention to the Broncos winning. The Colts win this game 12 to nine in overtime. And not only did the Broncos lose the game, they lost a couple of players. Adam Schefter tweeted that Broncos offensive tackle Garrett Bowles is out for the season due to a broken leg. And Broncos cornerback Ronald Darby is out for the season due to a torn ACL. I didn't hear about Darby. So that's crazy. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Uh, rookie Damari Mathis is going to have to step up then. But, yeah, I mean, it, it's a loss where it's just like insult to injury, literally. I mean, there's there's more injuries that happen. Um, they paid Russell Wilson $245 million uh, to put together a really poor performance. I feel really bad for the players <laughs> on defense because they just played lights out. And, yeah, that I don't know how they gave that game away, to be honest with you. It's it's really a loss where it's it, it just kills everything. Like I said, it's it's one of the worst. It's not only the worst like worst losses I've ever seen in terms of a performance on the field, but it's one of the worst losses in terms of just any momentum this team could have had and the promise that the Broncos had signing Nathaniel Hackett and signing Russell Wilson. A lot of question marks in that game. Russell Wilson's decision-making, um, I think everyone knows about that already. Nathaniel Hackett as well, the play calling. Um, we hired a, a senior offensive analyst, Jerry Rosenberg, I think is his name, um, after week one to try and clean up the issues on offense. And then you see third and 13, they try and throw the ball and feel in uh, when they're in field goal territory. Why not run the ball? I mean, you're not you, – you're not going to score a touchdown in the, at that point of the game. Russell Wilson ends up throwing a pick. Um, and then also the fourth and one play in overtime where they decide to go for it inside the 10, I believe. And um, we all saw Richard Sherman going off about that. Um, I, I don't know why they're mm-hmm. lining. I don't know why they're lining up in shotgun for that play. Um, not only obviously not running the ball, but why you line Why, why aren't you lining up under center? It's yep. It's a gut-wrenching loss in that um, the promise of this team is – it really never existed, to be honest with you. And I, I think it's it, – depending on what happens the rest of the year, it might be time to start over with a new head coach because it's it's not working. And 
Um, now the Broncos are financially married to Russell Wilson. And so that, that's not going to change, but at least you can change the coaching aspect, right? <laughs> um, that, that's my kind of spiel on this whole thing. It's, it's sad. It, it's really sad. Mm-hmm. Now the Chargers, they have to get set for the Los Angeles Chargers. Um, and that is, I'm pretty sure, a Monday night football game, too. Yeah, I don't know why Roger Goodell put this team on prime time four times in the first six weeks, but um, if you hate watching this team, you're gonna have to watch them again. And uh, and I'm one of the, I'm one of those people right now. Don't don't get me wrong. I think it, it was really interesting to see how the fans reacted after the game on social media. I think the Denver media is one of the most ruthless. Uh, groups of media members, which I love to be honest with you, because they call it how it is, and you just, you can't have that performance with that team. You just can't do it. And yeah, it's it's going to be interesting. It's a two and three record for this team now, and the AFC West is I don't know if the Chiefs win their next two, they're going to have five wins, and at that point, it's pretty much over for the Broncos, especially if they're not able to beat the Chargers. So it's yeah, it's it's a long road ahead, and they're not in a good situation. I think any sort of team morale is, is dead. <laughs> Luckily, the schedule does kind of soften a little bit after that Chargers game. You get the Jets at home. Then you go to Jacksonville, and that's in Europe. Mm-hmm. And then you're by week, I'm pretty sure, and then you play the Titans. Yeah. So that's a three-game stretch that's – could be could be beneficial for this Broncos team. Yeah, you definitely saw them miss Javante Williams last night too. I, I don't think there's any doubt yeah. about that. Just not, I mean, Melvin Gordon played a fine game, but it's just his ability to be so dynamic that the Broncos miss so much. And yeah, it's I, I don't I've never seen anything like it from this team. And like I said, that's there's only one loss comparable. That's 2012 playoffs. That's that's truly how I feel. Not not in terms of how the situation unfolded, but just the expectation and then just the, the feeling of hopelessness after. <laughs> at least, at least Melvin Gordon didn't fumble the ball. Well, yeah, there was one play where he was down and then he fumbled after and, and then yeah. everyone in the stadium was like, you know, hands on head, whatever. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I don't know that there, there's one positive there, but I mean, it's, I don't know. It's, it's pretty – it makes me speechless just when you think about how that team couldn't score a touchdown. Mm-hmm. Speaking of Europe, we got another week five game out over the Atlantic Ocean. The Giants take on the Packers Sunday morning, uh, 6.30 a.m. Pacific time in London at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium for the second consecutive NFL game in London. Yeah, I think the Packers will take this. I don't know who's going to start a quarterback for the Giants at this point, but um, yeah, I'll I'll take the Packers in this game. They're coming off a game where they didn't perform necessarily well, but again, it's Aaron Rodgers, and he's going to face whoever the quarterback of the Giants is, and Aaron Rodgers mm-hmm. is better than whoever that is. So, <laughs> both these teams are three and one entering this game. Yeah. I'm going to lean it. Your way as well, Kyle. I'm going to take the Packers as well. It's just when you're, it's hard to go up against the play caller. As Stephen A. Smith calls Aaron Rodgers a bad man, um, mm-hmm. hard to go up against a bad man like like Aaron Rodgers. So I'm going to take the Packers as well. 
Uh, all right, a couple of 125 games that we're going to get to. The Eagles and the Cardinals. Uh, this game is in Arizona. Kyle, who do you got? Yeah, I'll take the Cardinals in this game, to be honest with you. I think that we're going to be surprised this week. There's always one game which a team, you know, suffers through hiccups, and the Eagles are the only undefeated team left right now. But I'm going to go with the offset. I'm going to go with the Cardinals. I don't know. It's one of those games where you have two pretty solid rosters facing each other, and I think the Eagles obviously have the better one. But I don't know. I I think I want to see some – something interesting happened. Um, and for that reason, I'm going to take the Cardinals. I, I want a good game from Kyler Murray. I think we're due for yep. one. We haven't really seen a standout game from him yet. So I don't know. I'll, I'll go for the upset. Why not? I'm going to take the Eagles here. Mm-hmm. And as much as people are going to talk about Jalen Hurts, as much as going up against Kyler Murray, I think the bigger factor, it's going to be that defense. Yeah. Uh, that Eagles have Darius Slay and company, you know, defending Hollywood Brown. Uh, I don't even know who else because Greg Dorch got released and oh really Rondell Moore. Yeah, Zachary. yeah, Rondell Moore if he's healthy and mm-hmm. and Andy Isabella's is not there anymore. So it'd be interesting to see the receiving core behind. Uh, behind Hollywood Brown, um, but it's still going to be a tough matchup for uh, Arizona. So I'm going to take the Eagles on this one. We go to another 125 game, another NFC matchup. The Dallas Cowboys come out to L.A., take on the L.A. Rams. Who do you got, Kyle? Yeah, I'll take the Rams at home. I'm going to go with the home team here yet again out of the NFC West. Um, Again, Cooper Rush undefeated as starting quarterback. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like the Rams here at home. I think their defense kind of rebounds from what happened last Monday. And I think Stafford as well. He, he made some poor decisions there. And I, I think what's most important for them is establishing the run. So if they're able to do that, I think they'll be able to control the time of possession, control the clock and, we might see a win for them. I'm not going to necessarily count out the Cowboys because Cooper Rush has looked fantastic, but I'll go with the Rams. Yeah, I'm going to take the Rams as well. And, you know, whether it's Cooper Cooper Cup, not Cooper Rush, whether it's Aaron Donald or whether it's Jalen Ramsey, this Rams team is always tough out every single week. And so I'm going to take the Rams here. Cooper Cup still continues to be Cooper Cup. He's still finding a way to get a better target share than last year. Still better production than last year some way, somehow. So I'm going to take the Rams here. All right. We go to a couple of primetime games, a couple of AFC primetime games. We started the AFC North for Sunday Night Football between the Cincinnati Bengals going to Baltimore to take on Lamar Jackson and the Ravens. Yeah, I don't really want to go on a theme of the home team, but I think I'm going to stick with it. I'll take the Ravens <laughs> in this game. I think Lamar Jackson is so hard to contain. Last week we saw the Ravens kind of just throw the game away. Um, and I, I think if they're able to kind of fix some of that coaching, they're uh, one of the elite teams in this league. I mean, there's no doubt about it. And mm-hmm. I don't know, it, it's a tough offense to go against in Cincinnati, but I, I kind of like both units that the Ravens have, both their offense and defense. So I'm going to pick them. I think it is going to be a close game. Really, all of these could swing either way, 
all these games, but I'll, I'll take Baltimore. I think the biggest key in this game is going to be the Bengals O-line yeah. going against the Ravens defense. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think that's going to be the key because whether it's Joe Mixon running the ball or it's Joe Burrow finding Jamar Chase or T. Higgins or Tyler Boyd or Hayden Hurst, the Bengals team's got an opportunity because we know how good their def- that Bengals defense is. It's a couple steps behind Buffalo from what we saw last week, but it's still, um, you know, this was still a Bengals team that went to the Super Bowl last year. So I think I'm going to go with the upstate here. I'm going to take the Bengals on the road. Um, if the Bengals want to get back to where they want to go, they got to get wins like this. We saw what happened last year when Cincinnati went to Baltimore. That was the game Joe Burrow threw for 525 yards, and um, everyone had themselves a day in Baltimore. So I'm going to take the Bengals here in prime time. Kyle took his upset with the Cardinals taking beating the Eagles. I'm going to take the Bengals over the Ravens. All right, we go to Monday Night Football, an AFC West matchup, a rivalry that's lasted over 60 years. The, the Las Vegas Raiders are going to Kansas City to take on the Kansas City Chiefs, led by Patrick Mahomes. So, Kyle, who do you got? Yeah, I mean, the Broncos are pretty much out of postseason contention, in my opinion, at this point. But if you are a Broncos or a Chargers fan, you do want the Raiders to win. Mm-hmm. Uh, man, I don't know. This is, this is kind of tough because the Raiders, they looked good last week. They didn't look great, but they looked good. They great. They did look good, though. I mean, same for – I mean, the Chiefs looked fantastic against the Bucks. There's no doubt about that. Um, but I think what really stood out to me for the Oakland Raiders was finding Devontae Adams against PS2 on the Broncos and seeing mm-hmm. that defense put together so many performances in Denver this season, including last night. But when you think about the Raiders – I mean, Derek Carr just kind of came alive when it mattered most. And I think also establishing the run. Yep. I mean, you couldn't stop that O-line and you couldn't stop Jacobs in that game. I mean, he was so physical. He was a big bruising runner. I mean, it's that's what you got to do. He looked like rookie Josh Jacobs again. And so I think for that, mm-hmm. if they're able to stick to that game plan, I wouldn't be surprised if the Raiders nope. could kind of pull off an upset win here. So I won't mm-hmm. take the Raiders, but clear favorite is the Chiefs, obviously. Yeah, the Raiders finally had an offensive line that can, that finally showed up for a victory uh, last week against the Broncos. And we saw Josh Jacobs' career high, 144 yards on the ground, had, I think it was five catches as well. So I think if the Raiders are able to establish the run, they got a good opportunity. But the key stat will be red zone opportunity and how well the Raiders are going to be able to cash in uh, and being able to finish drives for seven points because we saw the Chiefs first three possessions. They all got touchdowns against the Buccaneers, the Raiders earlier in the year against the Titans. Each of the Titans first three drives ended in touchdowns as well. So the Raiders, they just have to be able to keep up with the Chiefs and find an opening if they want to get the victory. But ultimately, I'm going to, I'm going to take the Chiefs in this one. Yeah, we, All we right. picked a lot of different mm-hmm. teams this week. I like that a little. Yes. Uh-huh. It's usually us agreeing, but I mean, I kind of went. Yeah. I kind of went against the 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 norm of of what I do today. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm feeling I'm a little <laughs> violent, I guess. I mean, I'm still, Kyle's feeling a little risky after last night's uh, Broncos game. I'm still trying to count. 
Uh, all right, let's move on to fantasy football last week. And uh, let's see, where do we start off with this one? Um, we had some high scoring matchups, we had some low scoring matchups, and Kyle was right in the middle of that. Um, we'll start with the low scoring matchup. Amber Salas, who was our guest last week, as you mentioned at the top of our show, she took down Devin Watley 109.7 to 105 uh, points. Um, I'm pretty sure Devin did not or did did not make a move, and that was the big point of that matchup. I can't remember who that was. Someone was out for Devin's team. Uh, let me try and pull that up real quickly. Uh, Devin did not uh, sit. If I can find it, here we go. Devin did not sit Alvin Kamara. That was the difference in that matchup. There we go. Uh huh. Uh, let's see. Amber was benefited by, uh, like I mentioned, a get right game for Tom Brady last week 25.4 fantasy points, 385 yards, and three touchdowns. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Kyle lost to Jason Freund at 137 to 123. Yeah, this this was just – I mean, the, the difference in this was starting Amari Cooper and benching yep. J.K. Dobbins at the flex, to be honest with you, because, I mean, I wasn't really sure about J.K. Dobbins, especially his usage the week before. It, it seemed like they were mm-hmm. trying to ease him in, but now he's a must-start in every league for sure, no doubt about it. And, I mean, my team is there. It's a solid team. But, yeah, Amari Cooper, 1.9 points, only one catch in the game. I think that's ultimately A.J. Terrell just absolutely clamping him throughout the game for the Falcons. I mean, I probably should have considered that before starting Amari at the flex. I just figured he was going to get a lot more targets. And what really killed me was waking up and seeing Jay Jettas with 31 fantasy points. <laughs> The Saints in London, and then also T.J. Hawkinson, pretty much. Oh God! Yeah. While Mark Andrews had his worst game of the year, so that that definitely <laughs> did the difference. Um, yeah. Benching J.K. Dobbins and the poor performance from Mark Andrews, and yeah, I'm one in three, and it's like I shouldn't be one in three. This team is good. I just yeah, uh huh. Keep getting outscored as well, so it's like mm-hmm. man, that, that's that's what fantasy football does to you. you. You live and you die, and right now I'm. I'm approaching my grave. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Kyle, the difference for me was that deciding to start a running back over a wide receiver this uh, this past week, deciding to go with Davion Pierce over Gabe Davis, uh, and that turned to pay off. Gabe Davis with just one, 2.3 fantasy points. There's one catch for 13 yards. I figured the weather in Baltimore with the remnants of Hurricane Ian might play a factor, so I decided to go with Jamie on Pierce. Had a had twenty five point nine points, was not the team high. Um, fourteen carries, hundred thirty one yards, and touchdown helped me take down Brandon Freed one thirty seven to one twenty three, one twenty two. Um, Mike Evans got two touchdowns, which is huge, and. Uh, still won that matchup with even with Kyle Pitts catching one catch for 25 yards and it was one of seven passes thrown by Marcus Mariota. Yeah, I mean <laughs> that that says everything right there. So it, it's it's interesting to see these numbers in terms of point totals that our teams are putting up. I mean it's yeah. pretty much ranging from the 105 to 
what, 147 range last week, which is, which is really outstanding. I mean, our teams mm-hmm. are all pretty competitive when you think about it. There's typically one or two teams that finish below 100 in a fantasy week. And so when it's kind of different, I, that, that's great. I mean, I, I love mm-hmm. being so competitive. And when you look at the standings in our league, we have, um, what, two 4 no teams, including yours, and then it's two and two across the board and one and three across the board. So, I mean, mm-hmm. even though my team is not looking necessarily great right now, I'm still in the thick of things. ESPN predicts I have a 54% chance to make the playoffs. And so, you know what? It's above 50. I'll take that all day. Um, but Kyle, mm-hmm. it, it just comes down to this matchup against uh, our good friend, uh, Jack Moment. That's who I'm playing this week in Team Lobster. Mm-hmm. Team Lobster. Yeah. Uh, case you're, I'm guessing the story behind that team name is, uh, uh, Jack works in Maine as a reporter. So. New Center Maine. One thing. For six months. Yep. As of a couple mm-hmm. days ago. What a guy. I, I love Jack. Yep. The biggest thing about Maine is the lobsters out there. So that's what I'm guessing. And we can confirm that whenever he comes on our podcast. <laughs> yeah, my t- team too much sauce is not looking good right now, but I am projected to win by 10. Not not as if projections mean anything, but Brandon McManus had a pretty decent night with 10 points for me, and Jack didn't have any players. So, you know, we're off to a pretty good start for the week. And mm-hmm. uh, how's your team looking so far? Do you have uh, anyone play? You had Pittman last night, so Pitt played. I faced Pittman last night, oh, yeah. You faced Pitt, yeah, that, that's right, that's right. Yeah, I wasn't a mm. big of a night with PS2 on him most of the time. Yeah. Switched things up after Ronald Darby got hurt, and so um, yeah, it, and Alec Pierce getting a lot of the volume. Yeah, it was it was a really weird game because Alec Pierce got more targets than I think I've remembered him getting this season, and that includes a lot of passes that were fifty fifty balls and you know mm-hmm. errant passes because you know. Riley Chubb was hitting Matt Ryan's arm and stuff, and he was just making yeah. crazy catches. So mm-hmm. um, There was like yeah. a 25-yard pass play early that got broken up as well to Michael Pittman. Mm-hmm. Um, so Michael Pittman finished five catches, 59 yards, 10.9 fantasy points. Uh, Jason did have Jerry Judy on his bench. Three catches, 53 yards, 8.3 fantasy points. Uh, let's see what do we got here. Uh, Je- Jason's got Justin Jefferson and Stephon Diggs, a zero wide running back approach here with Brees Hall and Ramondre Stevenson as his two RBs deciding to sit. Travis Etienne. Yeah, that's the thing about Travis Etienne is you never know how he's going to perform. Yeah, he's more of the pass catcher out of the two backs there, and I mean even last week James Robinson really underperformed, so who knows. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this week for me, it's pretty much going to be the same lineup except for with Kyle Pitts out. Uh, Tyler Conklin will be that tight end for me this week. And it doesn't look like uh, Keenan Allen is going to play again this week. So Mike Williams will get once again get the start at my wide receiver too. Yeah, he absolutely should. I think no doubt about that. I think your matchup as well is going to be fantastic. You know, these... These two, what is it, two four no teams going at it, right? So it's, yep. yeah, this is going to be a fun one to watch. I think 
what it's going to come down for you, Brevin, is ultimately going to be that Sunday night game. You got McPherson kicking mm-hmm. for you. You got Mixon. So hopefully you're able to put together a good performance there and just really cap off that. But also when you think about it, Jason has the Monday night game with Carr and uh, Carlson as well. So mm-hmm. this is going to be a lot of fun. I think Jason is making the right decisions with who he started. Yeah. I, I started Pittman in my uh, big money league as well. And uh, it's, yeah, it, it's a little underwhelming there, especially, you know, considering what he should be doing. And I, I think it's to be expected with how Matt Ryan has played so far this season. But, yeah, it's it's been a lot of fun so far in this fantasy league. But I think we're both we're, – we're pretty much both looking for wins this week because that's going to – Mm-hmm. really set us over the edge. It puts me in better yep. position. It puts you in the surefire first place spot. Five and oh, yeah. Yeah, so it's it's going to be interesting. You're, you're going to be a team to beat if you end up winning, but yeah, I guess may the best player win. Mm-hmm. I What I did this week is I put in J.K. Dobbins in my flex instead of Amari Cooper. I, I'm not necessarily sure if J.C. Jackson's going to be covering Amari Cooper or if he's playing for the Chargers against the Browns this week. But I think, too, it's it's kind of between Christian Kirk and Amari Cooper for me right now. So I don't know. I, I might mm-hmm. have to make a decision at some point. Mm-hmm. Kyle did make the right decision not starting Russell Wilson last night. Yeah, I might end up dropping him, to be honest with you. Maybe I could mm-hmm. patient and just hold him on my bench. But obviously, I'm, I'm not going to play him over uh, – Mahomes, so I think that's the biggest thing for me. Um, but it's it's either Russell Wilson on my as my bench quarterback, or I could go to the waivers and pick up Teddy B, which mm-hmm. who knows how that would go. But yeah, there's a lot of factors to consider. But I might be patient. I mean, people keep saying the Broncos' offense is going to turn it around at some point. That's what Paint Manning did. My thing is stop comparing Peyton Manning's first year in Denver to Russell Wilson's. Like, just just don't. Like, you can't compare the two at all. It's two different situations. And the way this offense is run, I think we've seen it all after five weeks. I don't know how much is going to change. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. You have Russ as your only QB in fantasy. I'm, I feel bad for you, and I'm sorry. And it's it's time to go to the waivers. Uh-huh. Or it's time to trade it. Try to sell them. Yeah, or that, too. I mean, <laughs> I don't know who would who would want him, you know, to be honest mm-hmm. with you. And I kind of thought about a trade this week being at one and three. I'm also 0-4 in Lottery. I'm just like, yeah, it's it might be time to think of a trade. But I don't know, man. It's, it's tough because I have a solid bench, but it's like I don't really know who to give up in terms of that bench. Loki mm-hmm. tempted to take Christian Kirk out. And even start Romeo Dubes, to be honest with you, from the Packers. I mean, that, I could see that. That giant secondary is not great. So it's. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it'll just, with Romeo Dobbs, it'll just depend on how much the volume the running backs get with Dylan and Jones. Yeah, that's for sure. So. Because if it's like last week, then you'll take it. But And, and it's also one of those. London games where it's like is yeah. it high scoring, you know, they, they had to travel. Are we gonna see yeah. Are we gonna see last week a whole bunch of field goals in the game? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Yeah, so that's that's the biggest question mark for me. Christian Kirk, he kinda underperformed last week and it's like eh. 
Is his volume sustainable? He's still the number mm. wide receiver in fantasy football, but you know, who knows? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for me, let's see. Jalen Hurts is still that that QB one. Uh, let's see. Dalvin Cook and Joe Mixon. Hopefully, they start picking it up. Joe Mixon, I think, had six red zone carries last week Thursday, and only cashed in for one touchdown. And that was only benefited by the offensive line pushing him in. So, right, yep. Hopefully, he can Joe Mixon can start getting in the end zone where it's he doesn't have to rely on his O line. And then maybe Dalvin Cook could start getting going as well. That'd be be huge on top of Damian Pierce taking on the Jacksonville Jaguars. Yeah, I mean, we talked about all these games just a little while ago Mm in the NFL this week. I think the ones that we didn't even mention still have the potential to be really close. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think for that reason, it could be a big week for wide receivers just all around the NFL. I think it's going to be really competitive this week. I don't know if we should expect many blowouts. Um, I mean, last night, for example, I don't know if we really expected the blowout there, but e- even as inept as those offenses were, we still got points from some guys. So, I mean, anything mm-hmm. possible. And I don't know. I just have a feeling it's a big week for wide receivers across the board. I could see, like, for example, Mike Evans with Tom Brady going up against Atlanta. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then, like, a game that stands out to me, too, is, you know, Cowboys-Rams. I mean, that, that game yeah. mm-hmm. could be a shootout of a sort. C.D. Lamb, Cooper Cup. Maybe this is the Allen Robinson gets going, maybe. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> they just they just don't target him at all. And I don't, no. I don't know if, if it's – a matter of him not getting open. It's I haven't really watched Rams games in detail this year, but yeah, it's, it's yeah. interesting. Mm-hmm. All right, so that's our little fantasy football recap. Kyle has scored the third most points in our league, despite being one <laughs> and three. My team is good. It's a good team. Yeah, it is. But it's like one guy underperforms, and then uh-huh. someone else goes off, and yeah, that's yeah. I like I said. Uh huh. All right, let's move on to trivia. I am on the block and I'll let Kyle take it away. Yeah, I kind of want to do a different style of trivia today for you, Revan. Um, It's just going to be on the Padres postseason history as a whole. I know that you are very well versed about the San Diego Padres growing up in San Diego and following the team your whole life. And um, so I just kind of wanted to go into that. Um, So it's just going to be like a question by question kind of basis here. All right. That's how we're going to do this this trivia here today. So there have been four times in which the Padres have played this team in the postseason. Can you name that team? Say that again? There have been four times in which the Padres have faced this team in the in their postseason history. Uh oh, there we go. Yeah, I can name that team. Uh, St. Louis Cardinals. It is the St. Louis Cardinals. Um, lost of them in the NLDS in 96, as mm-hmm. well as 2005 and 2006. But you um, did kind of get your revenge of sorts in the 2020 shortened season in the wildcard series. So you end up winning that. Uh, one, so mm-hmm. at least there's that. All right. One for one. Your second question, which I probably should have asked first, but 
How many postseason appearances have the Padres made as a whole? Let's see. Let's see. 84, 96, 98, 05, 06, 20, 22, 7. Yes, yeah, so now it is 7 with 2022 mm-hmm. being the seventh appearance. Here. Should be 8, but I'm not going to go into that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Should be 8 because Matt Holiday still hasn't touched home plate in 2007. <laughs> that is facts. <laughs> All right. Mm-hmm. I guess the next question here for you is how many times have the Padres been swept in the postseason? Ooh. Um, None in 84. Uh, Is it three? It is four. It's actually four It is four. Yeah, yeah. So... 96 to the Cardinals. Oh, yeah, that's right. Uh-huh. 98 to... In the World Series. Uh-huh. To the Yankees. And then 2005. Yeah. And then also in 2020, it was against the Dodgers, of course. Oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, I forgot about 05. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's four times there. Um, mm-hmm. When was the Padres' first World Series appearance? Uh, that was 1984. That was the breakout season of Mr. Padre himself, Tony Gwynn. Absolutely. Um, that was when the Tigers ended up being the Padres 4-1 in that series. Um, <laughs> but obviously it's, you know, you, you see them end up throughout his career ultimately um, – competing in the postseason numerous times after that. So that was great to see as well. Um, what? Okay. How, how should I phrase this question? Actually? Um, how many, this is kind of a wild guess. I know that you don't have this off the top of your head. How many games did Tony Gwynn play in the postseason in his career? Ooh, let's see. Well, you got division series, LCS, Oh, I can't remember how many games that LCS went. Oh, no. That LCS against the Cubs went five games. Yeah. Another five against the Tigers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then three in the Division Series, I think. So 13 there. Add another four for the World Series. Uh, Six in the LCS when they beat the Braves in six games in Atlanta. Um, division series. Oh, they beat the Astros in the division series, so that would be four, I think. So, um, thirteen. Add another, let's say six, four, and four. So fourteen, twenty-seven. Wow! Yeah, <laughs> twenty-seven. That's that's really all right. Like you said. <laughs> Man, that that's really good. That's I'm very impressed. Yeah, like you said, the World Series in '84, and then like I mentioned yep. before, TG led them back to the divisional series back in '96, and then back to the World Series in '98. And yeah, I mean, Tony Gwynn with 33 hits, a homer, 11 RBIs, and 11 runs scored in 27 games in the postseason in his career. So mm-hmm. that's really impressive. And I guess your last one here is. Um, just give me 
what you obviously you're not going to get this off the top of your head, but just give me give, uh, give me a range of what you think Tony Gwynn's batting average in the postseason. Gosh, well, tell you this one thing's for sure: it's over 300. Um, but I think Kyle wants a more definite number. Yeah. <laughs> I, is, uh, is it like between like? Think of an exact number: three twenty and three thirty, or you know, three forty. Mm. What what would you what would you say? What would you what's your guess? He had a really good postseason in '98. I remember that. I'm gonna go three. Let's say three forty. It's a little lower than that. I'll give you. That. Oh, it is lower. Okay. Um, I'm gonna say three twenty-five. It's actually a little lower than that, too, as well. All right, what is it, Kyle? It's 3.06. It is 3.06. 306. Wow. Yeah, it's a little lower, but you're totally right about that um, 1998 playoff push. He had uh-huh. 17 hits during that span and 57 at-bats. That's a 298 average. I guess statistically his best postseason in terms of, like, of in terms of mm-hmm. time was 84 because he hit 316 his OBP was 372 yeah um, he hit three doubles in 84 as well and you can also mm-hmm. say about 98 but his only home run came in 98 as well yeah so. and that World Series yeah that World Series Tony was he went for like 8 for 16 or something like that yeah and that home run was off another San Diego and David Wells yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm very impressed. You got you got it right about 27 games in the postseason postseason in his career. So, that's just some questions I kind of put together about Padres' mm-hmm. postseason history. We're hoping to see a good run from them here again this season, and I think they can definitely do it. But as you can tell, Revan is very well versed about his Padres, and yeah, that that's fantastic. Also, they've only played, uh, you know, little by little. It's not like they're making. It's it's right. unfortunate, but it's not like they're playing every single year. So yeah, yeah, especially you know when they reached the postseason for the first uh-huh. time, two thousand six. Uh, since two thousand six, yeah. and that was back in twenty twenty, and that season was mm-hmm. all out of whack. So yeah. yeah, it's good to see them back. So this is their seventh playoff appearance. Mm-hmm. You're totally right about that. And this is. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward mm-hmm. to it. Currently, it is the top of the ninth inning between the Guardians and the Rays. It's approaching 11.30 here on the West Coast. Guardians closer Emmanuel Classe is pitching. Mm-hmm. Um, trying to get a four-out save. Um, Yanni Diaz just struck out one out in the ninth inning uh, with Wander Franco coming up to bat. That game is still 2-1. to one. And the Cardinals and Phillies game just got underway. Um, Lars Newbar got a leadoff base hit, and then Albert Pujols lined out, and Paul Goldschmidt strikeout. So that is where we stand right now. Nolan Arenado's up to bat, 3-1 count um, here in this bottom of the first inning. Yeah, I do you want to give some quick uh, wild card winner predictions, Revan, any series before we close this thing off? We might yeah. as well, right? We might as well. We might as well, yeah. Um not not just because the Guardians are up two to one in the ninth inning, couple offs away, but I'm gonna take the Guardians in that series. Yeah. Um 
I'm gonna take I'm gonna take the Cardinals. Yeah. So I'm gonna take both of the division winners in the wild card series. And then in the four or five matchups, I'm gonna take the Padres. Mm-hmm. And I'm gonna take the Mariners. So I'm gonna take the two five seeds and the two three seeds. Yeah, I'll take the I guess in the Guardian series. I mean, yeah, they're already up, but I think I think they are a better team. I think they have a little bit of a better roster and a little bit more depth as well. So I think I'm going to go with the Guardians as well. And from the other side of the American League, I'm going to go with the Blue Jays. I like the, I like their team. I think it's their time to shine. <laughs> Get it? Um, <laughs> wrong team, wrong quote, but it's all right, Kyle. Exactly. I know that, that that was a play on words, kind of right there. Yeah. Um, I, I and also I, I don't want to see the Mariners go far. To be honest with you, <laughs> I, I like Jackson in that series. I really like your team. Um, mm-hmm. I'm to the Cardinals as well. I think the Phillies take Game One, but I think the Cardinals take the series there. And then I will go with the San Diego Padres uh, as Jorge Alfaro has so infamously said, "LFG San Diego." <laughs> uh, all right. That's going to do it for us here on it and down the line. We gave a, our quick wild card picks for next week uh, for this week as the series concludes as late as Sunday. Uh, we talked about fantasy football. Gave our update. I am 4-0. Kyle's 1-3 despite being the third best scoring team this year in our league. We talked uh, NFL as well. We got into some NBA. The... A uh, little altercation between Warriors, Jordan Poole, and Draymond Green. We talked the Angels' top five moments of the 2022 season, as well as Reed Zetmer's no-hitter back in May. We talked about the Padres' season. Speaking of Jorge Alfaro's five walk-offs as well this year, and Manny Machado's walk-off run that combined for six of the team's 12 walk-off wins uh, this season, as well as got into the wild card and the topic, the hot topic surrounding the NFL and its injuries, primarily the concussion. So that's going to do it for us here on episode number 69 of Down the Line for Kyle Betts. I'm Brevin Hondo. We thank you for listening this week and we hope you tune in next week. <laughs>